The Greenwood and Mulliner Show is proudly sponsored by Casa San Lorenzo Gosforth, the best Italian cuisine in the Northeast. Reserve a table today on 0191213 or visit casasanlorenzo.co.uk. Newcastle Fans TV. Hello, team. Welcome to this week's Greenwood and Mulliner Show. A unique show for you this week, I think it's fair to say. The intro is Sands Greenwood, and the main interview is Sands Mulliner. So, I mean, just to to quell and quash a few doubts and uh, fears, um, we've not had a row (laughs) or anything like that. We've not fallen out. Uh, It's just a case. Johnny is a bit under the weather at the moment, bless him. Um, he's got this winter bug that's going round, seeing as though it's minus four in Angleterre. Uh, I don't know why I'm talking French. Um, but yes, and uh, I, I unfortunately missed the interview with this week's guest uh, due to work and just trying to get five minutes to, to do one of these things. But normal service will be resumed next week, I am happy to say. And then the week after, when we've got our Christmas New Year show special one. So that's going to be great fun. Um, Really looking forward to that. But yeah, this week, Johnny has been speaking to ITV Time T's man, Simon O'Rourke, who's been reporting on not just Newcastle, but all Northeast uh, football sides for over a decade now. So uh, I've, I've seen the interview back and listened to it, and you're in for a real treat. Johnny's done a fantastic job as always. And uh, it's a really good show, this one. They talk all things Newcastle, past and present, and look ahead to the future as well. So uh, everything the uh, the mind needs on this, uh, well, whenever you're listening, I suppose. But uh, yeah, as I say, normal service will be resumed next week. I'm not going to do emails today, um, just because I fear it's a bit unfair um, with Johnny not here. So do keep sending your emails in, though, to the podcast, info at newcastlefanstv.com. The link is in the description, if you so wish, to get in touch with myself and Johnny. And we will read out your question, your comment, your musing, or anything, as long as as it's not rude. Um, We'll read it out in these intros for you. So on that note... Actually, no, I'm not on that note, because Newcastle have played a match in, since we have uh, last spoken. Newcastle are out in Saudi Arabia, or they were out in Saudi Arabia, uh, as was NFTV's Lee, producer Lee. Um, he, he went out there and witnessed Newcastle beat Al-Halal five goals to nil. Uh, a brace from Joe Linton, a brace from Miggy, and young Dylan Stevenson getting on the score sheet. So really encouraging. But there was a, a few kind of worrying moments. Uh, Chris Wood, Joe Linton came off injured, so hopefully there's nothing too serious going on there, and they'll be back in time for the League Cup game against Bournemouth on the 20th, where the players, well, the World Cup will be over, but will we have our players available? Uh, I very much doubt it. Although... The players that we have still got out there aren't regulars now, I think it's fair to say. I mean, how Bruno doesn't get more time with that Brazil midfield, I do not know. But what do we know, eh? We know his quality. And if they want to keep him fit for us and, uh, well, keep him rested and, and readied for a, a European push in uh, in the black and white and a cup run, then uh, that's absolutely fine by me. So, yeah. Lee's having an amazing time. If you want to see his videos, if you haven't done already, which I'm sure you have, let's face it, um, Newcastle Fans TV on YouTube, of course. And if you're watching this, then you're already a member, so you've already watched this. And uh, all I can say is there's plenty more to come from him. He's in Saudi Arabia till uh, Saturday, or last Saturday, if you're listening. Um, so, yeah, lots. An amazing uh, once-in-a-lifetime trip out to Saudi. Um, but yeah, Rail Valicano next. So Florian Lejeune will be coming back to St. James's Park uh, to play against us this time in, in the friendly. And then it's back to business. So we're nearly there. I hope you're enjoying the World Cup because I 
I'm watching the games. I'm getting through it. I don't dislike it, but it's it's not the same, is it? Let's face it. It's not the same as watching Newcastle and uh, the the real proper business of, of club football. World Cup's the best uh, left to the summer, aren't they, in European Championships and so on and so forth. But nonetheless, you're in for a real treat now. Um, again, normal service resumed next week. But for now, here's Johnny with Simon O'Rourke. The Greenwood and Mulliner Show on Newcastle Fans TV. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Greenwood and Mulliner Show here on Newcastle Fans TV. Today, unfortunately, we don't have Sam Mulliner. He has work commitments that he can't get out of, but we still have a fantastic guest. We are joined by a man who has been covering Northeast football for the last 26 years. It's a big welcome to the sports correspondent for ITV Time Tees, Mr. Simon O'Rourke. Simon, welcome to the Greenwood and Mulder Show. Thank you very much for having me. Simon, you must have one of the best jobs in the world. If you love Northeast football, it must be the best job in the world, surely. Um, I think it's debatable if it's the best job in the world. People, people might like more high-profile ones or something like that, but um, it's up there. It's great. If, if you happen to like football, if you happen to come from the Northeast and live in the Northeast, it's a busman's holiday nearly every day. It's fantastic. Don't get me wrong. Like any job, there's stressful moments and stuff like that. But um, no, it's brilliant. I, it's been an absolute privilege to do and I hope I can do it for years longer. It's, it's been fantastic fun. When you first started out, Simon, I said you'd be still in the job 26 years and so much has probably changed in the industry in the last 26 years. Do you think you could believe it? I don't know. Could anybody believe that they'd be in a job 25, 26 years later? Um, I am a big believer in this sort of life lesson that if you get a job that you enjoy, then you, you're kind of halfway there. Um, but back to the point about longevity, I don't know. It's just it's just the way it's gone. It, I, I started out as part of a sports team at Tyne Tees. Well, I worked on the radio beforehand, but then when I got to Tyne Tees, I started out as part, part of a sports team. But for about the last 10, 12 years, it's really just been me. Um, and that's changed the way the job's done and technology's changed and when I started out, I was just a reporter, stroke correspondent, stroke presenter. Now I'm also often a cameraman and an editor as well. So the technology's changed, the workflow's changed, the job's changed, but it's been great. Go back to the original question. No, I probably wouldn't have believed it 26 years later. No, you must have seen everything in the last 26 years, especially in the Northeast, just on the Northeast people in general, because we do have a lot of international followers of the channel. Why is it the Northeast is just such a hotbed for football, but it had so much lack of success? Because I, I think since you've been reporting on the Northeast, it's probably only Middlesbrough's League Cup triumph in 2004, really of a real stature. Like, I know you've been to countless Vars tro uh, trophy finals, but in terms of like the creme de la creme, the big boy trophies, as I like to call it, it's only real Middlesbrough in the League Cup, really. That's correct. It has only been. Do you know what? One of the great things about covering football in the Northeast and one of kind of the consolation prizes for not always having victory parades and seeing trophies being picked up is the sort of lifelong quest to answer that question of why do we care so much? Um, I think the answer lies just as much kind of in our culture and our heritage as it does in our actual football teams. Um, and it is just something that football is... A, a topic that people discuss around their dinner tables. It's a topic that people discuss in the pub. It's a topic that people discuss when they're out walking their dogs. And I just, I, I speak to other sports correspondents and for whatever reason, it's just not really like that uh, in different areas. Um, as I say, it's a massive quest to actually, I don't think that there is any formula for uncovering it. I think people like Michael Walker, who currently writes for The Athletic, who, who wrote a brilliant book about Northeast football, probably come as close as any. But to actually put your finger on the answer of why, why do we care when we never win, um, is just fun to try, but it's difficult to actually get to. I can completely echo that. I can really echo that sentiment. Um... Uh, we'll, we'll talk about your early memories of reporting on Newcastle. I've stumbled across this one doing my research. Were you in the press area with Bob Munker, the last man to lift the trophy for Newcastle, when Tino Aspira scored a hatchet against Barcelona? It just seems like the most ridiculous sentence I've ever just said. Uh, yes, that's that's a real big memory as well. Um, 
as I said, I'm very fortunate. So I don't really do lists of sort of top memories. And they don't, and when I do, if, if I ever start daydreaming about that, they don't all come from football. But yes, I'll never forget that. I was sat next to Bob Monker, who, if you've ever had the privilege of meeting him, is just such a lovely, lovely man. Um, and I remember you don't really do displays of emotion in the press box. But when the hat trick goal went in and Newcastle were 3 0 up against Barcelona, me and Bob Monker just hugged in the press <laughs> box because it just felt like the only thing to do because everybody was just going mad. And there, there was that kind of air of disbelief around the stadium that night as well. What, 3-0 up against Barcelona? And it, it, was, it was a wonderful moment. It was a wonderful night, partly as well due to Barcelona's comeback because, you know, they, it could have ended up 3-3. It was an amazing match, an amazing night. And that moment is, was just wonderful. I really loved that. I think the sentence of you just saying Newcastle are three up against Barcelona. I think that just kind of for a lot of Newcastle fans, did that actually happen? Did that actually happen? But uh, hey, give it a couple it of years. Yeah. <laughs> well, I might ask you about that uh, later on in this interview. Really, I think that could be the case. But what are your highlight moments, if you like, of um, reporting on Newcastle United? I know obviously there has been a, I say, a fifteen-year spell of uncomfortable memories if, from the, uh, from the, probably the Ashley era, but. On the whole, have you enjoyed reporting on Newcastle United? Oh, of course, of course. I mean, it's it's Newcastle United. It's the, you know, the cathedral on the hill in the city of Newcastle. Again, I don't want to get ahead of myself in, in what you'll probably go on to. But what I enjoy now is that it, it's back to being how it should be. It's back to being a match as an event, whereas for 14 years, it sort of drifted away from that. I was lucky in that when I started, really, when I started on the radio and then when I moved over to Tyne Tees, um, that was basically the Keegan era. And so my first experiences, really, of reporting on Newcastle, in all honesty, to this point, probably still my best because that was utterly magnificent. It was the way the city responded, um, the way the team played football. Also, slightly differing ways of covering um, football. At the time, you could turn up to the training ground in Maidencastle and pretty much everyone got five minutes with Kevin Keegan and it wasn't just straight press conferences. And you could grab Barry Venison when he's, when he's you know, he's just got his tracksuit on and he's come out of the shower. As you, Barry, have you got five minutes? And you could do, you could do things like that. Everyone was friendly. There was, there was a team full of characters. The football was magnificent. That was probably the best time. Look, I think the truth is, your best memories go hand in hand with, with the best footballing moments. You, I, I go back to the, the best parts of the Sabobi era as well. And I do sometimes think, I'm sure Newcastle fans do, but, but whether widely people realise just how close they maybe came to winning the league that one year under Sabobi. Whereas if the Everton game away had gone the other way, if, if, if they hadn't collapsed after Jermaine Genus gave them the lead at home to Manchester United... I won't say it was there for them and it wasn't like, you know, the 12-point the lead or anything like that. But they were very good that year and they were very close. Those were good memories as well. It was also a very good team. Uh, it was a privilege to always cover Alan Shearer. He was naturally quite a guarded person when he was playing because he was England captain for a lot of the time as well. And you've just got to be careful what you say. Um, he's a very nice person. You meet him these days. He's a, he's a, he's, he's a good bloke. Um, and as again, we'll get on to, I'm... I'm really starting to enjoy covering it now, especially the match days at St James's Park, which are just kind of magical at the moment. Have you got a Sir Boy Robson story, an encounter, or an, and maybe an interview that you had? Because we, we've spoken to a couple of people, and they have like a particular uh, moment. I remember Peter Drury, who of course has done some work with ITV over the years, and he was saying that he was trying to prep for a Champions League game. And he thought, I'd only be five, ten minutes, he'll give me the team. He was very, very kind of give, giving him the team. And then he ended up being there for an hour and a half, talking all things football. And he's like, the reason why he gave me this team news was so I could prep for, for tonight. Do you, do you have any similar um, Sabori stories where you're just thinking it was more than I thought? So in, in terms of the, the funny ones, and I know I know the funny ones. I, I didn't, there was the, you know, <clears throat> the Shodoramayobi Carl Court story and various things like that. I, I mean, no, I didn't. I didn't really witness particularly them. I have got a Sir Bobby story, which is personal to me, um, which was towards the end of his life when he was a guest at uh, a dinner which I was hosting, and 
we were sat around a sort of not quite round but but sort of square table in the middle of the, of of the place where the dinner was taking place and that was like their version of the top table and after dinner he beckoned me over and he just said you know come over sit and i sat and talked with sir bobby robson about football for half an hour just me and him and it it was just just wonderful and for for all his is kind of um you know, his funny old Sir Bobby ways of saying the wrong thing and malapropisms and stuff like that. He, he was he was sharper than people maybe give him credit for. He he remembered who I was, and I, you know I was not a particularly central or big figure in his time at Newcastle United or anything like that. But he remembered who I was, so he, he beckoned me over. We talked about football. We talked about Newcastle United. We talked about England, and it, it and. And it was just a, a really lovely personal memory, actually, rather than a funny Sir Bobby memory. It was just a really nice memory of, you know, the wisdom he still had when when he was probably a year or two years away from his passing. Uh, and it was wonderful. Yeah, I think that's just a measure of the man, I believe, just with everything that you, what you mentioned there. I always remember talking to a Sunderland fan and he said, there's not many people or not many Newcastle managers, players that when they come off the team bus, they don't get booed. And Sir Bobby Robson was certainly one of them where he just didn't get booed. No one booed Sir Bobby, so that, that just shows the, uh, the measure of the man. Um, let's talk about Newcastle right now then, because it has been a whirlwind, twelve just over 12 months. I'll go 13 months to be completely precise. But I remember you talking in an interview a couple of years ago, saying where being the Ashley years is wearing. It was a wearing time. And I, you, you kind of almost thought there was no hope for the future. There certainly is now. Can you actually believe what is going on? If you looked at maybe say eighteen months ago to now, it, it, it seems like two completely different football clubs right now. Yes, it does. Um, no, I can't really believe it. It's the pace of change um, has been staggering, and for all the money um, to do what Newcastle United have done still requires elite people making a lot of elite decisions. And that's what's really turned the ship around. Um, Eddie Howe is obviously kind of at the top of that list as well, uh, who's just impresses me more and more every time I see his team play and every time I hear him talk. Um, I, I dislike the term sleeping giant because it's thrown about too often, but I think Newcastle United actually were kind of the dictionary definition of that um, because it was a, it was a club, a fan base, an organisation and a city that was that's just been waiting. That's just been sitting, lying, moaning, complaining, but waiting to come back into the light. And I think that's part of the story as well, because I think without without the desire and, and the, the wish that this awful situation that the club had found itself in for more than a decade was going to change without that huge swell of public opinion. Um, I don't think the pace of change would have been quite the same because it's just, it's almost been like a light switch. It's almost like, again, dislike the, the tsunami term at times, but it's almost like it was an army just waiting for the, mo the go, the, the, the instruction to go. And when the time came and the product was there in front of them and they could see it and smell it and feel it, they were just ready to go, and the whole club was. It, it's been incredible. Um, there's the asterisk, which will always be there for Newcastle United, um, of where the money comes from, um, the Saudi Arabian Public Investment Fund. And my advice is, is just simply to um, always be aware that the question's coming. or, or Always try and understand the question and always be prepared to engage on the subject because it's a subject that will never go away. But being a Northeast based reporter, I do absolutely completely believe that that is only a part of the story of the last 18 months and the actual sporting revival of Newcastle United is really, to me, the headline. I think you've answered that last part very well, if I'm honest. I think there's a lot of people that I think I think I, I, I hand in heart this as a Newcastle United fan. Yes, I'm absolutely 
over the moon that Newcastle United have been taken over. Do I completely 100% love what's happening in terms of that? Because of where the money's coming from, I think there will always be that 1% within me that's a little bit uncomfortable. But I do like the point that you bring it back to the northeast in the sense that you saw that you saw what uh, this, I don't like using the word scenes, but you can see the scenes outside St. James's Park on the day, Thursday, October the 7th. Um, do you think that that moment was just almost like a relief, just kind of like we can actually do something now? Because I think it could have been anybody. It could be me and you taking over the football club, Simon. I think there would have still been that enormous, thank God Mike's gone, because this football club can go from A to B, i.e. A being relegation or just getting above that relegation line, or in B, can we compete to try and get into the top half and get into Europe? Yes, completely. That that night, um, as, as with a lot of these stories, um, you can choose to see what you want from it. Um, and people could choose to say it was celebrating the arrival of the new ownership, which it was. And look, let's not try and be naive or anything like that. The fact that Newcastle overnight suddenly became potentially the richest football club in the world, that's going to get fans excited. Why? Of course it is. I mean, it, you know, football fandom is about wanting good things for your club. And if you see an opportunity, you're going to get excited by it, aren't you? That's fine. But the night in question, the actual whole takeover, to me, the emotional side of it was much more about what was leaving rather than what was arriving. Um, it, it was more about... It was more about celebrating an ending more than being excited about a beginning, if you know what I mean. Because what should always be uh, a dramatic, sometimes too dramatic, excitable, hot pot of energy had become flat, dull and a bit of a chore to be around, uh, especially the last five or six years of the Mike Ashley era. And I, I believe the actual when when the ownership change happened the emotional outpouring was much more about what was what was past rather than what was future. Yeah, 100%. 100%. I completely echo what you've said there. Um, you talk about personnel and getting the right people. Now, I'll, we'll talk about Eddie Howe in a second, but Dan Ashworth coming into the football club, Darren Eels coming into the football club. The ownership that I'm going to talk about in terms of Amanda Stavey and Mia Dagadusi, they seem to have got what it in terms of getting the right people in the right positions. And you look at other clubs like Manchester United, they're a bit kind of a mess at the minute um, with not getting the right personnel. Newcastle seem to be doing that and it's paying dividends in all sorts of different ways in terms of getting the right transfers, the right structure. They're obviously trying to attract different players from across the world. Obviously getting that young lad from Australia as well. That just shows kind of what they're doing, just thinking outside the box a little bit. How important is that, Simon, in your opinion, to get the right people who are very experienced who can actually understand how to run a football club because Newcastle has certainly been neglected for a number of years in regards to that. Um, it's vital on a number of levels. Um, first and foremost, just to rewind, it's because Newcastle had no infrastructure. They had, they had nothing. Lee Charnley will never be a popular name. He did his best, but it was basically him. There, there, there wasn't much else and there, there was the scouting department and, and stuff like that. But they, they, they didn't really have any sort of modern football club upper management structure. And you've got to have that to be taken seriously in the higher levels of football these days. So for, for a start, until you've got that, nobody in, in European football is particularly going to take you seriously. Now they've got that, you can start to be taken seriously. Obviously, it helps if you appoint good people as well. Now, Dan Ashworth comes with possibly the best CV around for the particular role that he does. Um Darren Eels also comes highly recommended. Now, I personally haven't met Darren Eels, um, but one of, my, one of my colleagues has when he, he was at, at a home match, was hugely impressed. And basically, it, it, I think the bottom line is that, that Newcastle had a lack of adults in the room for a while. And uh, now they've got them. And now my dog's joined us there, as you can see. This is Frankie. <laughs> there you go. Uh, hello, Frankie. Uh, and <laughs> and um, yeah, I, I just think... They, they're acting like a grown-up, well-thought-out football club for the first time, probably ever. Yeah, I completely agree. I think it is just kind of, you know, we're actually being a Premier League football club now, which it probably hasn't been for, even though we've been in that division for a, a number of years. Um, Eddie Howe, I, I, I don't think he was everybody's first choice 
13, 14 months ago. I think that what probably was the likes of Unai Emery, probably even Stephen Gerrard was above him because of the job that he'd done at Rangers. And there was a few fans kind of like that big name manager to kind of attract the big name players, if you like. But he's just proved everybody wrong. He's very, he's, like I say, in terms of starts, in terms of being a Newcastle manager, I don't think there's been any negativity really in the, the last 13 months or so. He's just managed to get the big decisions right and the Newcastle fans just trust him. They just trust him with everything at the minute and it's going so, so well. Why has he been so impressive, Simon, in your point of view? I think just you said it there. Um, I think trust. There's don't get me wrong, he's very, very good. In in American sport, they talk about X's and O's, and like if a coach knows his X's and O's, then that's his tactical knowledge and that kind of thing. And Eddie Howe's amazing with that. He he leaves no stone unturned with his tactical knowledge, with the way he plans everything out. I'm sure a load of fans have listened to the high performance podcast he did recently, which was really, really good. And I, I urge people to listen to it because it was really interesting to hear him talking. So he's he's a football junkie. He works apparently about 25 hours of every day on, on planning stuff out. But I think there's something about trust and I think it's trust on many levels. I think I think he's a person that fans trust uh, and the fan base trusts. And if you ask the people at Bournemouth, where he was manager very successfully for many years, they would say exactly the same thing. I, he's also a person that the players trust, um, who seems to be able to manage relationships with the players, both the ones in and out of the first 11 very well, engender a kind of almost unique spirit within the squad that's like business-like, professional, um, striving for excellence, but also seems fun and um full of camaraderie um he's just he's he's someone you trust he's 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 just the quiet guy who comes in and just makes everything better and it i it may well be looked back on as one of the m- moments of luck in newcastle's new era that unai emery didn't take the job um that they weren't sort of, didn't have stars spangling in front of their eyes looking at somebody like Steven Gerrard or something like that. Because this guy's perfect. Because there was thoughts, I mean, Rafa was a name that that was put about, but obviously at the time Rafa was not available. Um, And the idea of getting someone like Rafa back was Rafa would have been a good empire builder. And what you need at the start of the new era is an empire builder. As it turns out, Eddie Howe might be the best empire builder you could ever want because he cares about every level of the football club. Um, and he, he just, he wants everything to be better. He, 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 every week he wants everything and every player and every aspect of the football club to be better. And I can't think of a better person to be in charge than him at the moment. Yeah. I, I've been completely flummoxed about how good Eddie Howe is just in general. I think there was always that question about whether he could he keep Newcastle United up. Now, that's even laughable now when you look at that. Can it, the, the question is, can Eddie Howe get Newcastle into the Champions League, which I'll get your thoughts on it, uh, shortly. But from a media point of view and from what you've seen in terms of press conferences, how does he compare to previous Newcastle managers in terms of how does he command respect? How does he answer the questions, if you like? Does he does he shy away from the questions? I know obviously the Saudi Arabian question, which you've mentioned, has been asked and he, he's, asked it, he's answered it in the... I'm trying to think of the correct word. He's an, he's answered the question, but not really answered the question, if if, if that makes sense. But no, he, he, he politely declines to answer the question. Yeah, he's unfailingly polite um, on those questions. So yes, let's just deal with that. Um, on those questions, he 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 basically says it's his job to look after the football, and that's the job he does. He um, will say that, you know, he likes to educate himself about the world and about the situation and about the questions are being asked. But he feels that his job is the football side. And that is that that's kind of the the stance he's always taken on that. Um, in Generally, his press, his press conferences, it's, it's kind of one hit. He does um, the football managers and have to do sort of interviews for rights holding TV people every week and, and stuff like that. That's just the thing they've got to do. But for the for the great majority, it's just a one hit press conference. It's always good. It's always interesting. He's he, the, 
So what would you say? It's not a barrel of laughs, but it's not boring. It's it, it's it's always he always answers the question. He always thinks about what you've said. He gives himself like a beat, like once you ask a question and he doesn't just dive in. He gives himself like one second and then he answers every question. And he, he does that unfailingly. And as I say, it's never boring. There's always a lot of interesting football detail within there. He's not your man to crack jokes, particularly. He he, he could have a laugh. He's got a, he's clearly got a, a sharp sense of humour and a wit. But that he's, he sees the press conference as part of his job and he's so ultra-professional that he just does it in a professional manner. He's... Um, you, he's easy enough to warm to, but but as I say, he doesn't he doesn't give away too much of himself in press conferences. He's just there to do his job. I think that's almost why Newcastle fans love him even more at the minute, because he just wants to do his job. He wants to just coach the players. And like I remember, as you mentioned, the high performance podcast. He says, "I just love working with the players. I love trying to improve players, and the players are like his kids, if you like. He just wants to try and get the best out of them, which is is fantastic to see." Well, on that, when he did that, that bit of the podcast you're mentioning, he said, you know, what do you like best? And he, he kind of conspicuously didn't say the media duties. And, you know, I, I imagine that the media duties is something that he just factors into his day and his week. But, you know, th- they keep him off the training ground or thinking about the football. And so it's I don't think it is his favourite part of the job, but he knows it is part of his job. Of course, of course he does. Um, Newcastle have taken 22 of the last 24 points in the Premier League. They've progressed to the last 16 of the Carabao Cup or the League Cup, if you're, if you're like me. Um, they played Bournemouth, of course, four days before Christmas. He is getting the best out of these players. And there's a, there's a few players, obviously, that always get the same you know, love in terms of Bruno Guimaraes, Kieran Trippier. Um, Sven Botman's getting that love at the minute in terms of being a Rolls-Royce, if you like, at the back. Who's impressed you the most? Is there one particular player that you've watched this season, Simon? You've just gone, yeah, he's 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 a good he's a good player. He's a class above. Um, well, it's Bruno. Um, I think Bruno's just. I love watching Bruno play football. He's absolutely fantastic. He's the perfect modern midfielder because he he can he can play deep. He can create. He can score a goal. Um, th- there's little things that I think you can see within the play. In that, I think the the rest of the squad already pretty much know and accept that there's times where you just give it to Bruno, um, and you know you you'll get the ball uh, like Sean Longstaff, who who incidentally I think is this season's Eddie Howe has fixed this player player uh, who's playing very well at the moment. Um, sometimes you see Sean Longstaff will do something really good and get the ball back or that kind of thing. Have a look up and then give it to Bruno because that's kind of the that's kind of the best thing to do really. Um, Bruno's absolutely fantastic. He, he's, he's my favourite player on the team at the moment. Look, I'm a big respecter of everybody else's love for Kieran Trippier as well. I still think we're recording this, obviously, as England are about to play a quarter final. Sorry, not a last 16 game in the World oh, Cup. Don't get too carried away. No, no, no. no. <laughs> I never do with England, don't worry. Um, I, I was surprised that uh, Kieran Trippier was left out of the last group game. I'll be interested to see whether that was just a last group game thing and whether he actually comes back in for the last 16 game. I would I would play. I love his leadership. There's little things. Uh, obviously, I usually sit in the press box, but occasionally last season I sat elsewhere in the stadium. And there was a few times when Kieran Trippier was coming back from injury and was actually on the subs bench one day. It was, um, I think it was the game. It might have been the game against Arsenal. Um, I think he was on the subs bench. I might be wrong, but there was a game where he was on the subs bench because he wasn't quite ready to start. Newcastle were under a bit of pressure. He was warming up. The ball went out for a throw-in. The Newcastle player went over to take the throw-in quickly and Trippier on the sideline just grabbed the ball off him. He's the substitute and he took the ball off him, held it to his chest and just went, just calm down. Just calm down. Take a second. Take a beat. And I love things like that, that he just he just knows when to stand in, he knows when to shout, he knows when to tell tell people what to do. He's been absolutely invaluable to Newcastle. And as the, the first statement signing was brilliant, it, it's kind of in, impossible not to like the, you know, the Eddie Howe reclamation projects as well, the 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 Shelbys, the, the, the Sean Longstaffs. Obviously, Joe Linton. I'm not as high on Joe Linton as maybe some people are. I think what has happened with him is amazing and I think it's fantastic. But as I say, I'm not as high. I'm, I'm not sure how much long-term legs that situation's got. 
I say, I, I love I love that he's become a thriving Premier League player, and I, lo- I think it's a great story. Um, and it that that's the other side of Eddie Howe. It, it's the Fabian Cher, that sort of thing. Play, players who looked used up and and ready to leave under the previous regime are now vibrant, valuable members of the first eleven or the squad. And it, it it's a team that's quite easy to like at the moment. Um, Callum Wilson's sheer craft as well up front, I love. Uh, so glad England took him to the World Cup because if anything were to happen to Harry Kane, to my mind, he's the only other current English qualified player who actually understands how to play centre-forward. Um, so, yeah, they're, they're a very easy team to like at the moment. Yeah, they certainly are. Simon's been asking this question to uh, the last couple of guests, so I'll, I'll ask the question to yourself, Simon. You're only allowed one in your midfield out of these two players. You can only pick between Bruno Gimenez and Rob Lee in that midfield. There's only one space going. Who are you picking? Tough question. <laughs> it's really, really, really tough. Um, I'm sorry, Rob. I'm going to go Bruno. Wow. You're the first person to say Bruno, by the way. <laughs> honestly, honestly they, they, they got a steal with this guy. This this look. I hope Newcastle don't sell him until he retires. But um, that that guy's value is probably already four times what it, what what was paid for him, and it's only going to go up and up. Yeah, he is absolutely incredible. I just feel like he's got like I remember. Um, I think it was Jamie Redknapp once once said that David Silva had like wing mirrors. I feel like Bruno Gimenez has a wing mirrors. He just knows where everybody is. And it's just absolutely brilliant. Um, what can Newcastle United do this season? Can they make the Champions League or is that one step too far? They can. Um, they've, they've got a load of points now. That's the thing. And I know this, the, the season's not even halfway yet, but, but you, you already start to look at the, the teams behind who general expectation would be are going to make the Champions League. And they've got an awful lot of catching up to do. I mean, a team like Liverpool, who I still think could have a say in it when it comes to the top four, because they, along with Manchester City, have got a quite nice post-World Cup thing that their main striker didn't go to the World Cup. Um, I, I would expect a Liverpool revival, but there are already so many points behind Newcastle. Are Newcastle going to lose four or five games in a row? I'm I'm not convinced that they are. Um, I th- Part of me still thinks that top four is a bit of a stretch. Uh, and I, I I think, as the ownership have hinted, I don't I don't think it's particularly necessary that they get in the top four. But if the chance is there, obviously, you, you go all out to try and take it. I think I and probably everyone will be disappointed if they didn't qualify for some sort of European competition next season now. Um I'm getting quite excited about the Cups as well, just because draws are starting to open up. Newcastle haven't got a gimme um, in the League Cup before Christmas. That's not an easy tie. But should they get through it, more of the top teams will knock each other out. It it really does start to open up. Um, And again, you, you look at the FA Cup third round draw. Again, Newcastle have got like one of those banana skin third round ties. But... Manchester City are playing Chelsea, is it, or um, in the third round, and 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 you just wonder after like a, a almost a generation of virtually nothing in the cups, if if you know it could be the old London buses thing, and two of them suddenly come at once. I don't know. Um, so I think that's exciting. Kind of this, I don't see a Leicester City type fairy tale where they're going to win the league because Manchester City are going to win the league, um, but. What's, what I think is really encouraging almost beyond the points and beyond the league position is that no one's worked them out yet. Um, they, they haven't been sort of tactically undone because Eddie Howe's just so good at this. Um, the, you know, the, the one defeat was the, the really, really late one at Liverpool. And you, w- you wouldn't say that Newcastle were tactically outdone in that game at all because um, they weren't. And... That's the thing. Even the so-called established better teams, no, nobody's actually pinpointed and exploited a weakness. And that that's hugely encouraging for Newcastle United. 
Yeah, I still can't get over that Liverpool defeat just yet. Uh, <laughs> it was ironic. I saw Steve Watson in the in the away end that night, and I was just thinking, he's seen that before. <laughs> but anyway, we'll move on. I'm not talking about that too much. Uh, just quickly going back onto the top four hopes. Is it Newcastle's best chance to make the top four? And the reason why I say that is because all the traditional big six, if you like, are still in Europe. And there's a World Cup, of course. They're going to be playing three games a week, probably from now to the end of the season when we, we go back to playing, um, you know, Premier League football, FA Cup, League Cup, etc. Surely there's not there's, there's not really a better chance to get into the top four, break into the top four. Actually, it's an interesting point. I know it slightly contradicts what I just said, but you might well be right. Yeah. Um, it, it's a seriously weird season because of the World Cup. Um, to add to what you said as well, what, two, three, maybe even four of the established top six look a bit dodgy this season. Um, don't, don't look as if they've they've kind of got all their ducks in a row yet. Um, maybe it is. Maybe that this, this is just the opportunity and, and maybe this is the one that they've got to try and grab with both hands. The question of then whether would they be ready for the Champions League, blah, blah. Well, you kind of cross that bridge when you come to it and having that extra financial firepower these days does help with things like that. Um, yeah, it could be. Maybe, maybe. As I say, still feels to me a bit of a long shot, but um, you're winning me round there with that, that line of argument that perhaps it's their best opportunity to do so. Yeah, I, I think I, I do think there's a chance. I don't think again. I'm I'm still kind of on the fence with yourself. So I just maybe it is one step too far for this Newcastle United team. But again, never rule it out with Eddie Howard. He's had a fantastic run of form since he since last January. Really, after that Watford game, it's been an incredible run of form. Um, you talk about the cups. Do you think that? It's almost going to be difficult because if Newcastle, Newcastle probably in January are still going to be the third, fourth, or fifth because there's only going to be two, maybe three Premier League games. Do you think that consciously make a decision what to go for in terms of should we, should we put all our eggs in the basket in the cup games and maybe play our strongest teams, play the likes of Bruno, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, or do you think they'll focus more on the Premier League? Because, like you say, it's particularly with the, the, the Carabao Cup as well, Simon. If we do get through Bournemouth, and again, it's a difficult team, a difficult team to face against the you know. Premier League versus Premier League. But Man City are playing Liverpool. All of the top, traditional top six teams are out. You know, you're going to have, potentially, a Man City or Liverpool, and Newcastle might be second favourite to win that competition if they don't face each other in the draw. Yeah. What is the, what is the priority? Um, I imagine that if they get through in the League Cup, that's the one that they'll prioritise, uh, just simply because you're closest to the end of it. Um also, whilst there's maybe one less game than normal over Christmas, what what with the the World Cup and then and then the way that the games fall, I, I, Eddie Howe is not one for taking risks, but um, it, I, I, I I wouldn't surprise me if the Sheffield Wednesday FA Cup tie is is the one where he tactically plays a perhaps perceived as less strong team because it will come at the end of a busy period. Um, that might be the one that he ever so slightly doesn't prioritise. Don't get me wrong, they get through that tie, they get a nice home tie in the fourth round, then away you go, it's fine. But that it just it's the placement of that game in the calendar more than anything else that makes me think that the FA Cup might be the one where he does play a, a more significantly weakened team. Um, as I say, Eddie, Eddie Howe is sharper than all of us. And so he will know the opportunity that is there in the League Cup currently. Um, why not play a strong team in, in the tie before Christmas? Because, you know, I know they've been away. I know they're playing friendly, that kind of thing. Um, but basically, they'll, they'll have had six weeks off. So there's there's nothing stopping you playing a strong a strong team in that tie. And why not make that a priority? He's... Very aware of everything about Newcastle United and Newcastle United fans and and what they want and what they desire, and he knows what a cup run, a trip to a final, even a semi final, um, w- would do for morale. Um, so, to me, the League Cup's the one that you've 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 got to probably prioritise at this point. Um, not the way he is. I wouldn't say that that would be to the detriment of the league, but. 
that's I think that would be the, the way he'd look at it at the moment. He'll see the opportunity in the League Cup. He'll look to be as strong as he can in the league. And then the FA Cup, possibly just wait and see. Yeah, I think that's a really fair evaluation. I think especially the fact that I wouldn't say there's no easy games in the Premier League anymore, unfortunately. You might have said that maybe 10, 15 years ago, but it's, it's certainly not. You look at it, Leicester leads than Arsenal just after Christmas. Arsenal's playing exceptionally well. Um, and you're into January, and obviously the question will be, will Newcastle United strengthen? How much will they strengthen and how much money will they spend? In your point of view, Simon, what, what do Newcastle United need to do ever so slightly to improve this team, if you like? And how much do you think that the consortium are willing to spend in this window? Um, I'm not one for trying to get ahead of yourself. I, I think back to the way that Manchester City did it when they got the money. Uh, and the first round of players they bought was Shea Givens and Craig Bellamy's and Nigel de Jong's and, and good, strong, battle-hardened Premier League players. And that's kind of the way that Newcastle have done it. <coughs> And I think that that's that's still the way to to kind of do it. Um, I think they could do with another wide forward option at Newcastle United. Uh, look, the the seductive James Madison idea of you know the lock picker, the person who can unlock anything, any tight defence, is nice. Um, I think that that deal's unlikely because that that would be a heavy duty deal. Because if I'm Leicester City and I understand that James Madison probably wants to leave, he's not leaving for cheap. And, you know, the, the, the current betting is that, is that Newcastle don't, are, are not expected to blow the doors off in January. Um, I think that they'll probably bring in one or two because that's, that's, they, that's the way they like to do it. And I think that's the way Eddie Howe likes to do it, is sort of constant evolution of the squad. Um, as I say, I, I, personally, I would probably look in, in, in wide forward areas, although Isak still to come back from injury and, Still don't quite know what Isak's going to be. And, you know, it's quite a mouth-watering prospect, the thought of him and Wilson actually finally getting to play in the same team as well. I I don't know if they need to go mad in January. If you're looking... I mean, Isak's a good example of, well, well, here's a position that we want to fill. We, we're going down one avenue. That's maybe not going to work out. But here's an opportunity to to do something perhaps bigger and better and here's just the moment to do it. That might happen again. Um, and the you know the the nice thing from Newcastle's point of view is that the money is always there if the if they think now is the opportunity to pounce. Not really expecting it though. And the squad's been so good and so strong in the first nearly half of the season that just fortifying a bit it a bit with another couple of bodies who can usefully give Premier League minutes. Might be all they need, really, unless, as I say, there there is just an unexpected opportunity that crops up. I, I do think it's going to be fascinating in, in January. I'm not going to say it'll show Newcastle's ambition. I don't. I don't think if they don't buy anybody or don't buy a couple of players, I don't think that also say it's a lack of ambition. But it will be fascinating seeing who they're actually going to go for, the type of player, the type of position you, you mentioned. Obviously, the, the attacking wingers. Um, I, I do actually, I do agree with you. I just don't think our backup options are as strong, um, say, if a Miguelion gets injured, for example. No, exactly. I mean, I, I, I would agree with that. And there's remember that trading involves buying and selling as well. And it may be that there's one or two players who are anxious to move on in January as well, which might create gaps in the squad. Um, you know, there's, there's a couple of players, people like Matt Ritchie, that kind of thing, who, who've not seen a lot of football and might be time for them to move on. And whilst... That might not be, at this point, a huge footballing loss to the squad. It, it it kind of is another experienced body. And you've got to be aware of that as well, that that, that while, whilst there's a time to buy players, there's also a time to sell players and, and to let players go as well. So I think there might be traffic in both directions. Just last couple of questions for you, Simon. Do you think it's a matter of time that you'll be reporting on Newcastle United winning a trophy of some capacity? I hope so. Um, not everyone can win. There are currently three trophies that Newcastle can win. Hopefully, by next season and in the seasons beyond that, they will be in the running for four trophies. Um, there's a lot of other teams who want to win those trophies as well. And the other teams that want to win those trophies are 
further down the road in terms of their growth as elite football clubs than Newcastle United are. So there are no guarantees. Um, Liverpool are having a down season, but Klopp isn't going anywhere, as far as we know. Pep Guardiola's just signed a contract extension at Manchester City. Nobody's handing Newcastle the Premier League title over the next couple of years. Nobody's going to hand them the League Cup or the FA Cup, because if you've noticed in recent seasons, the trend seems to have been that it's actually the big clubs who end up winning those tournaments again. There's the odd one, like Leicester City, obviously, but you look at last season, it was Liverpool. Um, it's it's not a, it, it's a seductive idea to say it's only a matter of time till Newcastle win a cup. I think it's only a matter of time. In fact, I think it's now that Newcastle are actually genuinely a contender for these trophies. But to say that it's only a matter of time until they win one, I, I think that's a little dangerous at this point. As I say, I think I think I think we are entering a phase of Newcastle United's history where like the Keegan era, like the Robson era, they will always be seen as contenders. Um, but they've, they've got to go and win one, do it themselves. Well, hope, hopefully, fingers crossed that they do do that. Um, just finally, Simon, where will this Newcastle United be in five years' time? They will be in the Champions League in five years' time. Um, I hope Eddie Howe will still be the manager. I hope Bruno will still be playing for them. Um that, actually, to digress ever so slightly, and uh, I've got to go as well, so I'm, I'm not going to keep you long. Um, for all it's lovely at the moment, it's quite an interesting thought exercise to think what members of this Newcastle team you actually would want to be in the team in five years' time. Uh, I'll leave you with that one. Just have a, have a little think about that because you can come up with some interesting results. But to answer your question, in five years' time, Newcastle United will be in the Champions League Eddie Howe will still be the manager. They will be going from strength to strength. And if they haven't had a victory parade, they will have the number of the person who owns the open top bus on speed dial. Well, I'm hoping that you're reporting on it, Simon. I really do. <laughs> Simon, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you about everything Newcastle United. And again, your yeah, experience on uh, ITV, again, I think just shows the class. I even watched the Savannah Marshall interview you did yesterday as we recorded and it was fantastic. So again, keep up the good work and uh, hopefully we'll see it at Newcastle United, well, hopefully winning a trophy in the next few years. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Keep the faith. Will do. Will do. Uh, to listen to all our podcasts, the link will be in the description. And again, we have over 100 podcasts that you might want to listen to. So make sure you make, uh, put a five-star review at any of the ones that you do enjoy. But from myself, Jonathan Grewood, and my guest today, Simon O'Rourke. We'll see you all very soon. Newcastle Fans TV. The Greenwood and Mulliner Show is proudly sponsored by Casa San Lorenzo Gosforth, the best Italian cuisine in the northeast. Reserve a table today on 0191 213 0399 or visit casasanlorenzo.co.uk.